0: I'm Hannah, I'm Sheena, and I'm Lori, and this is Cemetery Row.
1: Woo-hoo. It's been Woo. so long since I've been with my girls. I know. I know. We all had the plague. Well, two yes. of us had the plague. Well, no, I had the plague right. You did.
0: You yes. did.
1: <clears throat> but you did not give it to me, even though my symptoms were so Yes. <laughs>
0: And then I got
1: mine from God knows where. It's, well you've like, been out you've been out Tomcat. Yeah. I have so. though. Sh- my, my dad listens to this. No oh, I have yes. not. Sorry, you know. You've been a you've been a good girl. I've been I've a church. been a nun. Yes. Yeah, sure. The church tr- the, the church that uh that Hozier sings about. <laughs> <laughs> Helping the widows and the elderly leave. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, these widows just have beards. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> you, I'm so sorry, Hannah. I'm <laughs> telling all your business. <laughs> Hannah's um, dad did not hear that part. No, not at all. She is a good girl. Absolutely.
2: Uh, hey, y'all. Hey. But yes. <laughs> but then I was in Virginia, and then it was, yep. we have some really cool pics from a cemetery I visited in Virginia cool. called Elmwood, which cracked me up. <laughs> Um, And so, I do oh. want to mention, though, an interesting thing me and my mom found as we were, like, traipsing. It's the Elmwood Cemetery in Norfolk, Virginia. It's a historic cemetery. Mm-hmm. And, you guys, there were so many babies. Oh, so yeah. It breaks my heart. So many babies. And some, like, yeah. four or five from the same family. Yeah. And, like, on the oldest end, like, six years old. And then on the younger, like... Didn't even give months. There was just like. Yeah. Oh, I di- hate it. Born in 1884. Oh, died, died in 1884.
1: Yeah. So
2: if this teaches you anything, it is vaccinate your fucking kids.
1: Yes. hundred percent. And please.
2: also, if you're going to have a newborn in your family and you're of a certain age, like get boosters for like your MMR and your whooping cough and your DTAP and all of that. And if you're elderly, get your whooping cough um yeah. vaccine too. Um they're coming out, I saw with an RSV vaccination. Mm-hmm. And I've seen so many of my friends' kids go through RSV, which yeah, is and fucking it's scary. Brutal. But yeah. vaccinate your babies because a hundred years from now, I do not want our ancestors or our descendants going through a cemetery full of dead babies. Because it's I know how well depressing.
0: The, that is the one thing, because I keep my politics and beliefs to myself on social media everyone yeah. who listens to this podcast knows where i leave right i just because of the horse but industry. you got to be careful on me yeah <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of the horse folks are very conservative and i just mm-hmm. choose to not say anything um but the one thing i do get on a soapbox about is vaccines because when sawyer was a little one uh there was a measles mm-hmm. oh well, yeah because yeah. somebody took their unvax kid to the zoo and Oof. Sawyer was too little to have gotten vaccinated. And luckily we were not, because we had gone to the zoo, just not in the window. Thank mm-hmm. goodness. But it's like, and I got, so I posted on Facebook and some horse show lady who I never liked anyway, comes on there. <laughs> well, you know, the reason we don't get the smallpox vaccine is because a bunch of kids died from it. Duh, 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 duh. No and so I'm It's like, because we eradicated smallpox. You dumb exactly. bitch. Exactly. I went to CDC.gov or yeah, CDC.gov. And I pulled that information. I'm like, Check your sources, bitch. And yeah. how did we eradicate smallpox by vaccinating everybody? Yes, I know anyway, what a concept. So, yes, so that is Lori's soapbox moment of the day. Uh, that is one thing you will never change my mind on. Uh, yeah, vaccines same. do not cause autism. Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> I have, you know. and even
1: if they did, what is right. wrong having an autistic child?
0: Absolutely, I, have, I will. Autism die, not heal.
1: Right. I have autism. My
2: nephew, Peyton, is also on the spectrum. His was a little bit more severe um, than mine was, you know, especially when he was a lot younger. Now he's brilliant and perfect and wonderful. Yeah. Um, But
1: it's not the end of the fucking world. No, (laughs) No, it's not. There are
2: worse things. Like, I don't know, having a dead kid.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I mean, I just, I'm a firm believer in, you know, Okay, so you might have to work a little differently with your kid. It it may right. not be perfectly easy. I don't think parenting probably is easy from any, hmm. for, if you have a perfectly no. quote-unquote normal kid, you know, or if you have exactly. one that have some special needs. I don't know that any of it is easy, but you know what? You just love your kid through it. God, okay. I'm not a parent. Right. I should. Yeah. Anyway. Call me crazy. I just think people should love their kids and take care of them, but absolutely, regardless of I their know? struggles. Yes. What do I know? Um, but on a happier note,
2: she on on happier got some note. shit. Yes,
0: <laughs> she gonna pimp herself <laughs> oh,
1: out. Ooh, I, I am <laughs> bomb, bomb Hey, it's supposed to be country. Well, this is our country yes. music episode. Um, I do have a lot of tours coming up at Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis, Tennessee. So if you want to come take a true crime tour or a scandals and scoundrels tour, or my plot thickens tour, which is about writers and poets and journalists. And and soul of the city tickets are still on sale too. They are. All of that is happening in October and early November at Elmwood Cemetery. Um, You can find the dates online and I'll post my, like the, dates of my specific tours on cemetery row social um but also yeah soul of the city the big costume event that is october 13th and 14th i will be a tour guide at that so i hope to see you there um we are showing psycho on october i think 20th Um, oh my god that's gonna be so fun i know i'm i'm gonna ask if i can work it otherwise i'm just gonna show up and have fun um (laughs) i do buy tickets to events but they yell at me when i do they're like oh my god sheena you You do too much. Anyway, I shouldn't be saying that, I guess. Um, But anyway, but I do buy tickets. Um, And I I ask that you buy tickets because when you buy tickets to Elmwood Cemetery events, that goes directly to maintenance of the cemetery. So um, please, you know, buy your ticket and come have fun with me in the cemetery. And yes, I am still giving tours with Backbeat Tours. I give a walking Memphis ghost tour, I think is what it's called. Um, whatever. It's it's the only ghost tour that Backbeat Tours offers. I'm usually your Monday night guide. Um, I've been doing a lot of weekends lately, but I think for the next like two weeks, I'm on like Thursdays or something. Whatever. Come have fun with me. I've had some awesome tour groups lately, and I've given out a a thirsty Thursday with Sheena. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because we will be going into bars on Thursday nights, and and if you, um, and we have had some creepy experiences lately. Ernestine and Hazel's has been popping lately like they, i'm telling the, the universe the universe has been on its shit lately yeah big time and i mean that's not really the only location that's popped off i've had a few other weird things happen at other locations on the tour but i'll tell you i've been i've been proud of our memphis ghosts because they've been terrifying me lately and i'm here for it, <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah so yeah so if you have taken any of my tours lately and you're listening hi welcome um Oh, tip. and then big and tip often, please. Um, you're helping me pay for important things in life, like food for my cat or tattoos. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the necessary, you know, necessary. things to get through. Um, but also, I did want to mention two spooky things that I did recently that I think our listeners would appreciate. Um, I went to Savannah, Georgia. For the first time in a few years, Savannah is my favorite city, as you know, because y'all listen to the podcast. And I've talked about how much I love Savannah. Um, Savannah is wild with ghost tours. I've never seen so many ghost tours happening at once in one location. Like, I went on two tours during this most recent vacation, and it was amazing the amount of tours we had to walk around or walk through to be on our tour. Like, I've never seen that many. But if you're gonna take a ghost tour in Savannah, Georgia, I highly recommend Enica Edenfield. I've mentioned her before; she helped me out with a previous episode. You can follow her on TikTok. Um, I believe she is Salt Lake we'll Springs Moss. Yeah, she gives ghost tours. They're private, so it's just you and your group. Um, that night, it was just me and her and her adorable dog Vash, who is such a fun um, ghost tour companion. Um, he was so sweet. Um, and it was just, it was fun. And her stories were not, um, sensationalized. They were based in history. They were based in truth. Um, but they were terrifying. And what I love too, is she had a lot of personal stories of stuff that happened to her or maybe to her friends. And that really added a cool element to it. It wasn't just someone spouting off a script. It was someone who's like, no, I've experienced this stuff. And all this. So I thought it was a wonderful tour. Highly recommend her. Also, if you're looking for something else spooky to do in that city, go visit Grayface Museum. Yes. Uh, of course, you may have been to Grayface Records, the record store there, but now they have a museum. And I'm sure if you're, if you're in Savannah, you know this, or if you're in the surrounding area. But um, if you're looking for something spooky to do, I cannot recommend this more. It was so much fun. It is a oddities, true crime museum um there are sections for everything under the spooky sun um you start out with um freak taxidermy which hopefully we will discuss in october because we are going to do some spooky episodes in october and the museum actually gave me a some inspiration for our uh, one of our upcoming episodes Um, you have a whole section on the church of satan Um, you have in sections on haunted dolls There's a huge Ed Gein um, section that it's made to look like his house and they debunk a bunch of Ed Gein myths and they have the only uh, item left that was made from human body parts um, that he made, which is just so creepy. It is so creepy. Um, Then they have a huge section on Gacy. The guy that runs the museum is a huge Gacy like know it all um they're actually making a documentary about Gacy and they 100% convinced me that he had accomplices it was fascinating oh 100% no like yeah, being no in way. chicago and just like you know
2: last pod did a great series on the chicago ripper crew and one mm-hmm. of the dudes who lived on death row with gacy And just to kind of see Gacy manipulate this fucking psychopath and just basically like make him like a puppet. Gacy absolutely 100% had accomplices. Um, And there's also a gray face, um, grave face shop here in wicker park mm-hmm. that i've been meaning to go to and check out so
1: yeah i'm sure it's maybe we'll learn because... a little bit
2: more about gacy this october we'll see
1: <laughs> maybe um i'll tell you too one thing i appreciated that they have it's like the first thing that the guide kind of directs you to they have replicated the crawl space in his house
2: yes and so that picture like, was
1: amazing yes. and i'm like no he couldn't have got down there and done that he had to a, as had big fat as he was as a,
0: a big guy yeah who? i was just like uh-uh it was who was, and guy, they, who was the guy that um like the candy dean coral yes maybe him yeah. Houston. Houston. where he had young... yeah i mean
2: i absolutely yep. because there was they know for a fact that there were men who were found in his cross who had gone missing when Gacy was out of town and they yeah. know he was out of town. Yeah. They have business records to prove he was out of town. So yeah, yeah you get, um, how did Henry Zabrowski? you get a group of vengeful orphans and you turn yes. them into your little henchmen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was fascinating. Um, and they also have a pinball area. It's all um horror movie themed pinball games that you can play for free for as long as you want. Oh,
2: and I did fun.
1: for a long time. I was just like, oh, this is in the middle of the tour. Okay, I'm going to take a break and play a bunch of games. And I did. I'm, I'm not bad awesome. at pinball. Um, It was fun. So I highly recommend those two things if you are into the spooky side of life and if you're listening to this I assume you are so right Um, check it out it's fun it's oh and another thing I appreciated was they throughout the museum throughout the different exhibits where it was appropriate they had little stories about spooky people or spooky incidents from Savannah there's like one or two that I'm like I would love to dig into this person even though they went missing and no one knows where they are now I'm like this is fascinating and what I love too and I, I kind of wish like Spencer was with me because he understands this so much more than I do. But if they knew, like, say, a serial killer's um, top three astrology, they had that on their, yes, their sign. And I just thought that was so cool because I was like, OK, I didn't need to know Samuel Little's top three. But there it is.
0: Oh,
1: there's also a section on cults. Um, they had a lot of stuff from Jonestown, the flavor aid packets, all that. And a whole section, they called them the nasty 90s. Um, A lot of, I didn't need to see what Lorena Bobbitt did, but I saw what Lorena Bobbitt did. I'm proud of her. Same, same, same. But I didn't need to see the top half that went flying off.
2: The thing (laughs) that I love about knowing serial killers astrology is the fact that Ramirez and Gacy, both being Pisces, confirms my theory that all Pisces men are terrorists and need to be on a watch list. As a Pisces (laughs) female, (laughs) I'm a Pisces female and I am a gentle, sweet baby angel who will cry. If you text me with a hint of attitude. Okay. If you were texting me and you end it with a period instead of like an exclamation point or a smiley, I will spend the next 24 hours assuming you hate me. Pisces men terrorists.
1: My argument would be that Gemini is right up there with them. But what do I Gemini, know? like both genders of Gemini are just yeah. straight up. I don't anarchy like Geminis, and chaos. generally speaking. There are a few that I do like. I shouldn't say this because I'm sure we have a lot of Geminis. They're like, hey now. And I'm sure you're lovely. But I've never been treated great by a Gemini. Emmy, my
2: niece, is a Gemini and she's a sweet baby angel. Yes. Yes. Um, And my favorite Gemini outside of my niece is the wonderful Sonia, who is in New Jersey, and I love. um, But she embodies her Gemini chaos in that she will straight up, like, fuck you up if you cross her, and I love it.
1: (laughs) Here for it. Um, Okay, so that's all I've got. Y'all got anything else to share? That's it for me. Okay. So are we getting started with country music? let's do it get
2: your hats out get you a piece of straw to chew on (laughs) get a
1: belt buckle if you've got it i'm here for it so am i going first then since we're going in chronological order okay i'm gonna warn y'all right now this is too long um and i'm 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 a huge fan of this guy and as am i normally when we pick a topic, I always want to find someone who is underrepresented in some way, right? Like a minority, someone who, you know, maybe had to fight to get to where they were. This guy's none of this stuff. I mean, he's he's your typical white male that is still like lauded. But I, I'm sorry. I love him. And I just wanted to talk about him. So, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, he is my very favorite country artist of all time. Um, and I will say this. This is longer than I normally do. And I'm sorry, even though his life was so short, I'm just going, I'm writing a book on the man, but also I'm glossing over a lot. So if you want yeah, to, he had a lot and a little time. Yeah. um, And I'll say, this is part of why I'm telling you the story. So when I was a baby, my mama sang me songs like, Hey, good looking. And there's a tear in my beer.
0: Same. Like, this was
1: song. <laughs> These were sung like alongside nursery rhymes. So I just thought yes. everyone. Woman- I just saw everyone's parents saying it's a bitsy spider followed by there's a tear in my beer. I just, you know, I didn't think anything about it. My grandmother, who will be a hundred this week, bless her heart, um, but she passed away a, a while ago, but bless her heart. She would be nice. She loved her Miller Light anyway. And so every time my mama sang there's a tear in my beer, my grandma would raise up her beer and sing along. And I kind of <laughs> thought my grandma wrote that song. <laughs> no i didn't hear this guy sing this music until i was older so i eventually grew up and i realized that these songs and countless others were written by the hillbilly shakespeare a skinny kid from alabama who died way too young so picture it september 17th today oh yeah
2: he would be 100 today september 17th
1: I know he was born four days before my grandmother in 1923. Hiram Williams, later known as Hank, was born in Mount Hiram, Al- Alabama. I love the biblical name, Hiram. name. Biblical name. I love that name. Um, he was he it, he did not go by Hank from the get go. He was called Hiram, but I'm going to call him Hank because that's what we know him as. Yeah. Um. And he, by the way, Mount Olive, Alabama, it's a small community about an hour south of Montgomery, the home of the fighting folding chairs. Um,
2: (laughs) Thoughts and chairs,
1: thoughts and chairs. Yes. Um, This makes him a Virgo. He's the third child of Lily and Lon Williams, the Williams' first child, Ernest. As they all did back then, died shortly after he was born. The second mm-hmm. child, a daughter named Irene, she lived into adulthood. So we don't have to worry good about her. her. She's good. She lives for forever. And yeah, so we're going to call him Hank. Um, Lon you know what? Was that born... was his chosen name. So Yeah, it was. Lon, born Alonzo, was a, lo- a logger and worked on the railroads, but he was drafted into World War I. And thanks to some PTSD, he spent eight years of his life in a veterans hospital. So he was not around much for Hank's life. And so Hank and his sister were mostly raised by their mom, Lily. Now, Hank was born with spida bifida. It's a birth Ooh. defect that affects the spinal column. So I didn't know for, that. Mm-hmm, I didn't so know for, that either. For his entire life, he suffered chronic back pain. And this was debilitating. I can imagine. And this is going to explain a lot as yeah. we move i'm already like mental notes i'm like okay that that explains it (laughs) it explains it yes um so hank his mother and sister spent a lot of the great depression moving around alabama to make ends meet his mom worked her butt off she worked several jobs often at once she ran a boarding house out of their home Uh, meanwhile hank loved music he loved to listen to the radio and sing along with his mama at church And she gave him his first instrument, a harmonica, when he was six. And when he was eight, she bought him a guitar and started paying for lessons. Now, meanwhile, first instrument at six, then at eight. Then he starts drinking at the age of 10.
0: Oh, no. Uh,
1: Oh, so it it would have been like 1933. Yeah. 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 I can see it. Um. But anyway, really, I'm just saying that to say that the problems that we face later on started early, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, maybe that was due to him having back pain as a child. I don't know. But anyway, the person yeah, who really taught i watched children just get into shit. Yeah, I mean, his mom you was know. working all the time. And sometimes yeah. he lived with other family members, but I'm sure they were trying to make ends meet in the Great Depression, too. So exactly. You know. Um, but really Hank got all of his music education from a local musician. In one of these little towns that he lived in with his family, Hank met and befriended a local blues artist, an older black man named Rufus Payne, aka T Tot. He was a street performer. And Hank just becomes enamored with T Tot and starts following him around everywhere and hanging out with him and learning from him. Um And Lily eventually started making meals for T-Tot to pay for Hank's music lessons because he basically learned everything from him. And it wasn't just how to play guitar, but it was showmanship, too. Um, And later in his career, Hank would sing, would record My Bucket's Got a Hole in It, which he learned from T-Tot. And he would always give him credit and say, this is the only music teacher I ever had. Oh now that. eventually Hank and T Tot would lose touch because the family uh Williams family moved around Alabama. T Tot did pass away in poverty in nineteen thirty-nine, and we will talk mm. about where he's buried uh later at the end of the story because Hank's family made sure that he is not forgotten. I will say that. Good. I appreciate that about him. So in his teens, Hank began his music career. He won some talent shows and performed outside of a local radio station until they put him on the air, which is how you do it. Um, right! He started his own band, the Drifting Cowboys, which the roster of musicians would change as Hank's career continued. He dropped out of high school at 16 to pursue music full time. And his mom basically started Managing the band. Um, They were touring everywhere. They were playing a lot of honky tonks. And of course, Hank is just drinking, drinking, drinking. Um, But he would always go home to Montgomery to perform on his local radio show. Because he did have a steady radio show. Now, I'm going to say this. And this is something we will talk about again later. But when you listen to anything about Hank Williams, they're going to talk about his mama. His mama was a force to be reckoned with. Everything I have read about her is that she was very strong, domineering. Domineering is the favorite word of everyone to use about her. She was I tough to on it. him. I do and I don't, man. It sounds like she kind of helped. I don't know. Part of and and this is something we'll talk about later with one is one of his wives, but it's sort of the she was tough on him. She kind of made him act right but i wonder if some of that led to maybe was it abusive i don't know enabling that is the crazy thing with country artists right because elvis was like mad close to his mama too yeah yeah um but i will share this quote that hank said about his mother and i i like this because this sounds like a mama i would want as well i think he said there ain't nobody in this here world that i'd rather have standing next to me in a beer joint brawl than my mall with a broken bottle in her hand god <laughs> why does that sound like my mother <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like my grandmother and 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 she did get in bar brawls with him like i mean not you know to defend him like she he had, right yeah they were they were a, a, a bar brawl duo. They were a tag team duo i love it <laughs> yeah so um, maybe it's not emotionally healthy, but it. It's good no, story. it's not. <laughs> no, but we're not here for emotion, healthy oh, emotions. Yeah. In this story. <laughs> there will be no emotional health in this episode. No. <laughs> um, unfortunately for Hank, um, alcohol affected his career early on. In 1942, he was fired from that radio show he had for drinking, and this mm. is really the start of a ten-year roller coaster of incredible successes and incredible failures. And the failures are due to his abuse of alcohol and pain pills. Um, Hank never took good care of his body. He was in bar brawls. I saw one time he fell off a bull at a rodeo, which I'm like, what are you doing riding a bull at on a rodeo? Bull? When you <laughs> have, have back pain. the bull. Um, but I think he was in bad pain anyway. They taught like how yeah. he was always just in constant pain. And they said when he was on tour, he would lay down in the back seat of the car trying to ease the pain some. And they said they often saw him crying. The pain was just so bad. Um, Mm. And he was abusing pain pills and alcohol to try to keep the pain at bay. But I mean, that only gives chronic
2: pain really fucks with your mental. I mean, they said the same about with JFK with some of his more reckless and skirt chasing is because he was in constant
1: pain. So he was like, fuck it you know yep. let's just do it um one of his heroes the country music legend roy acuff who deserves his own episode at some point but i've never found him fascinating but he basically revolutionized country music so he's important either way he told hank at one <laughs> point you have a million dollar voice son but a 10 cent brain <laughs> kind of breaks my heart a little yeah anyway Hank would go on to meet a force to be reckoned with, Audrey Shepard. She would go on to be his wife. Um, Audrey had as much drive and ambition as Hank did, maybe more than he did. Um, So she was trying to keep him sober and keep him pursuing music. But when they met, um, he was working at a shipyard in Mobile, Alabama. Um, But everything, again, going back to what I said about the mom, everyone loves to use the word domineering with audrey and i always get the impression even in doing this story i feel like i don't know who hank the man was because everything you read is well his mother made him do this audrey made him do that and it feels very like what controls really have have. time, at the same time too i know but i'm also like would he have had the career he had had if it wasn't for these two pushing him, Hey, try get sober for long exactly to have a successful record or whatever? I don't know. They were obviously making money off of him too. I don't know. I don't like that whole negative women talk and and all this because I'm like, well,
2: and I say this as somebody but, who requires a babysitter sometimes, especially when I get into my funk or I get into. a a bad headspace where i need somebody to go bitch get up we're doing stuff you know and to kind of like prompt me to like keep trying and keep doing things
1: i know and i think he needed that but i don't know i don't know and then i worry are they doing that out of concern for his health or are they doing that out of concern for their pocketbooks i don't know Uh, maybe a little of both and i don't want to i don't want to put I don't want to say bad things about these women when I didn't know them. And I will well, say and this. Too,
2: as a mama and a wife in that era, their mm-hmm. fortunes are tied. It's not like yes. either of those two women could have gone out really on their own yeah. and made it. And so – I can see his mama saying, okay, you know, we're in grinding poverty. I have a son with a talented, marketed skill. Get your ass out there. We need to eat. And then as Mm -hmm. his wife, I can see the same thing
1: of food needs to get on this
2: table. Get your
1: ass out there and do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I will say this, um, Audrey and Hank's son, Hank Williams Jr., spoiler alert,
0: um, (laughs) said in a
1: documentary, and I think this is a very telling statement, maybe if there's no Audrey, there's no Hank. Yeah. Now Hank Jr. owes a lot to his mama. We will get to that later. So I think he is very pro Audrey, which that he has every right to be. But anyway, anyway, moving on. Uh, The pair were married at a gas station by a justice of the peace in 1944 because that is a the most romantic place to get married. But their marriage was legally invalid because Audrey was still married to her first husband. Audrey. (laughs) Technically, her divorce from her first husband didn't comply with the legally required 60-day reconciliation period, which is some oh, yeah, fucking Alabama. Exactly. I know. Um, but they were somehow considered legally married. I don't know. We're moving on. Alder co- tried to keep them <laughs> on the straight and narrow. She became his manager. She played in the band. She wanted to have a huge career and be a big star, too. But it's kind of well-known she did not have a lot of talent. So, oh. you know, she... Was trying to share the spotlight, and everyone was like, "No, Audrey, shut up." <laughs> yeah, no. Um. So, but she did get him back on the radio. Um. So he got his radio show back, and he started writing a lot more songs. And he published his first songbook. And this is when he starts really becoming known as a songwriter. And he's so prolific and wrote so many amazing songs. We'll get to that. Now, at this point, Hank is flirting with the well-established Nashville country music scene. Um, he's touring, he's recording, but he hasn't really hit the big time. And when I talk about the established country music scene, man, the country music establishment is just a whole different animal. I don't think any other genre of music has a setup like this. And basically a lot of it revolves around the Grand Ole Opry, which if you don't know, it was a nationwide radio show. It still is. It's still broadcast broadcast live from nashville every week and it was the main stage and if you got on the opry you were considered legitimate and you were considered accepted by the country music community and if you weren't on there it's kind of like you weren't good enough and it wasn't just musically but it was kind of morally too because mm-hmm. if you drank too much oh you kept me on there um or they would yank off your you know you wouldn't be allowed on there um which this kind of actually leads to some outlaw country that comes later on. Like Willie Nelson was never really accepted by the establishment for a very long time. And I'm like, that's cool. You don't need it, you know? Like, but yeah. it's hard to get, especially in those days, accepted and played on country music radio unless you were on the Opry. It's very important for an up-and-coming country star, especially back then, to get on the Opry. Hank did try out for the Opry in 1946 and was rejected, but it wasn't long before he would run that place, basically. Now, Roy Acuff, who I mentioned earlier, and Fred Rose, they were like the kings of country music at the time, and they had Acuff Rose Music, which was a music publishing firm. They knew Hank had potential, so they signed him to a six song deal. Those songs were very successful, so Frank looked for a, or Fred looked for a bigger label for Hank. And he signed with MGM in 1947 and released Move It On Over, which became a big hit. Um, this was one of his original compositions. It's been covered by a lot of people like George Thurgood and the Destroyers. I love their cover version. That's um, my favorite. I know. It's one of my favorites, too. Um, and in this six-song deal, he also recorded the gospel song I Saw the Light, which is one I of his
2: love
1: my huge I mean, one of the most famous Hank Williams songs is I Saw the Light. Which
2: and is Ole Miss's I, I marching band does such a good version of it. Yeah. It is mm-hmm. one of my favorites.
0: Yeah,
1: it, it wasn't a huge success when it was first released, but now it is so well-loved.
0: There's, well, the biof- there's a reason his ahead. biopic was named I, I Saw, Saw the, the Light. Because
2: yeah. for years, I thought that was a hymn that he just covered. I and did, like, too. I, I didn't realize. I didn't I know like, he wrote it. Yeah, he put all of
1: his churchin in that. <laughs> he did. He did. It's a classic. It's one of those. I'm not always big on gospel music, but there are some songs that, man, when they come on, I'm like, yes, Jesus. <laughs> I remember <laughs> we're going to the town. <laughs> the
2: Satanic Temple and I saw the light is on multiple <laughs> playlists for me. Like As I'm a in it.
1: Be. Um, of course, Hank can't always win for losing. Uh, In 1947, he spent time in a sanitarium after a bad, Mm -hmm. bad bout of drinking. His band left him. Audrey filed for divorce for the first time. Um, They did reconcile, but their relationship was always rocky. Um, But on the successful side, um, because he had a lot of um, successful singles, he was asked to join the Louisiana Hayride, which was kind of like the Grand Ole Opry's Little Sister or its less popular competition like the minor leagues kind of like the minor leagues yeah um big i mean it's a national radio show and and you did a lot of touring and stuff but it was nowhere near as big as the granite Opry um but a lot of artists got their start on the hayride but then 1949 was a stellar year he released his cover of the song Love Sick blues and this is when everything changes this is a huge, huge 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 hit for hank it stayed number one on the billboard charts for four months uh, he was finally booked on the Opry. And when he made his Opry debut on June 11th, 1949, he received six encores. So he came up there and, and cover Lovesick Blues six more times because they just wanted to hear it over and over and over. He joked that he could have just thrown his hat out on stage and gotten a standing ovation, which I like. Him. I like that. Um, he was on top of the world, truly. He had a bunch of other um, top five hits that year. Um, one of them being "I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry," which was actually the B-side to "My Bucket's Got a Hole in It" because they thought the jukeboxes would um, that they thought that "My Bucket's Got a Hole in It" with it being more like um, upbeat it would do better on jukeboxes than "I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry." Um, Little did they I know what bar patrons are actually looking for, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and "I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry" is basically his like signature song. It's what he's known for. It is poetry. It is beautiful. It will break your heart. Um, It has long been considered his best. It's been covered by countless artists over the years. It is number 11 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time and number three on their list of the 100 greatest country songs of all time. Also, in 1949, Audrey gave birth to their son, Hank Williams, Jr., Um, I think his first name technically is Randall or something like that, but he goes by Hank Jr. Um, Hank had a daughter. I'm sorry. Audrey had a daughter from her first marriage. And as far as I can tell, it looks like Hank kind of helped raise that kiddo as his own. So they seem like a happy little family of four. Um, but going into the 1950s, Hank continued to have a string of hits like Long Gone Lonesome Blues, which is my favorite, Why Don't You Love Me, Cold Cold Heart, which was like immediately covered by Tony Bennett, which I kind of love that. Like,
0: yeah. Hank Williams
1: cool. and then Tony Bennett.
0: <laughs> I he love was it. earning
1: He was earning like a thousand dollars per show. Meanwhile, he was recording these moral-themed songs. Like it oh. would be country music, but he would basically recite poetry over it essentially Ooh. um and it was kind of like hey act right because i didn't act right now i'm paying the consequences kind of thing um but he released these records as luke the drifter not as hank williams oh. because the record labels didn't want him being confused yeah yeah they're like why do you want i mean it's like hank has regular country music about there's a tear in my beer, but then he's also releasing stuff by luke the drifter that's almost like a sermon um but to me, it's if you sort of like
2: to- um, when, oh, what's his name from Black Flag? Henry Rollins.
1: Yes, yeah. there it is. When Henry Rollins does like his spoken word stuff. Yeah. It's like,
2: okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how you can listen to Luke the Drifter and be like, wow, this sure doesn't sound like Hank Williams because it sounds <laughs> just like Hank Williams. Uh, 1951 was a mixed bag. Um, he spent time in a Louisiana hospital to detox from alcohol and deal with some back issues. And he later underwent a spinal fusion at Vanderbilt. I cannot imagine Ooh. spinal surgeries in the 50s. Oh, no, 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 no. No, thanks. So they just pinned you like a fish. Yeah. And I know people who have spinal surgery now. Now. And it's intense. It's very Intense. He was released 2 weeks later against his doctor's medical advice and he wore a back brace. I just wouldn't think Oof. that would be smart. But professionally yeah. he was doing great. He released a debut album in 51 that fall he was on TV for the first time on the Perry Como show. Again, two men I, I would enjoy to see together like Perry right? Como and Hank Williams and he also signed a movie deal. Okay. But his life started to really fall apart in 1952. He had a lot of big hits like Jambalaya on the Bayou, Setting the Woods on Fire, another one of my favorites, and I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive, spoiler alert. And he continued making TV appearances, but his live shows were a mess. He would usually show up drunk. He would forget lyrics. When people would boo him, he'd act like a jerk. because he was drunk. And what broke my heart was there were so many country artists who were trying to help him, trying to look out for him. Uh, Ray Price, Mother Maybelle Carter, Minnie Pearl, they were all trying to, like, keep him sober, keep him going for him, so he could go do these shows. At one point, Minnie Pearl was backstage with him, I think at the Opry, trying to keep him sober, trying to keep him cheerful. And they started singing. She started singing I Saw the Light, wanting him to kind of sing with her. And he said, there ain't no light for me, Minnie. Oh, that that like killed me right there. I won't lie. Ooh, it um, was that broke my heart. And then, of course, the Opry eventually fired him because he was getting drunk too much. So he had to go back to the hayride. Um, meanwhile, he and Audrey were not doing well. She had asked him to move out. And that spring he had an affair with a dancer named Bobby Jett, which left Ooh. her pregnant. Um, so Audrey divorced him um he moved in with ray price who at that time was an entry up and coming country star i love ray price um he said that hank called audrey every day but she just hang up on him so i think they still loved each other i think hank still loved her but i think they were just one of those couples. it just wasn't working yeah yeah um by the fall he met and married a completely different lady billie jean jones um they had a private ceremony but then they sold tickets to the rehearsal and the public ceremony that also included a concert. So, clearly, this is not exactly the, um, I don't know. It it just seems a little tacky. True love might be suspect here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This marriage was also declared invalid because Billie Jean's divorce was not finalized until 11 (laughs) days after her wedding to Hank. He
2: has a type.
1: (laughs) He has a type. Lily and Audrey were the major forces in getting this marriage declared invalid. Shock. By the end of the year, Hank had developed heart problems. He was seeing a doctor, and I'm using Uh air quotes for this, named Horace Toby Marshall. He He sounds fake. He is fake. He previously had been convicted for forgery and all of his medical degrees, he had purchased them.
0: Of course he did. (laughs) This
1: This is who we're listening to for our medical advice. Under a fake name. He prescribed all kinds of drugs for Hank and none of these mix well with alcohol. We see where this is going. Oh, yes. Hank Williams final concert took place on December 19th. um, And then in 1952, and then he had his last like public like performance appearance, whatever, December 21st, 1952. Um, He was scheduled to perform at a new year's Eve show in West Virginia and was supposed to fly there, but the whole Southeast was hit with bad weather. So he hired a family friend, 17-year-old Charles Carr, to drive him to the show in West Virginia in Hank's baby blue Cadillac. Oh, boy. Now, there are a lot of details about this trip that are apocryphal, and the sources all vary. But basically, Hank did not survive this trip. Very short version of this, and you can read a lot more online from a lot of different sources that all say wildly different things. The short version is the trip started fine. Charles told, re- told reporters in 2002 that Hank was in good spirits. He was laughing, chatting, singing along with the radio. He said Hank did purchase alcohol, but he didn't drink all of it. At a stop in Knoxville, Hank wasn't doing well. He called, Charles called for a doctor. The doctor gave Hank two B12 shots that also contained morphine. Oh, whose idea is this? Anyway, That's quite the combo. I know. Meanwhile, Hank's doctor, quote-unquote, Toby, called Charles and said the New Year's, Day, New Year's Eve show was canceled and instead drive to Ohio for a New Year's Day show. So Charles is like, great. Shortly after midnight, they stopped for gas. Hank got out, stretched his legs. But hours later, Charles noticed that Hank was very quiet in the back seat. He Uh-oh. pulled over and he checked, and Hank had been dead for so long at this point that rigor Morris, mortis had already set in. Oh fuck! Goodness yeah. gracious! Hank's years of drug and alcohol abuse had exacerbated his heart issues, and his heart gave out. Its official cause yeah. of death is his heart attack. Hank was twenty nine. He would have been thirty <gasps> in nineteen fifty. Twenty nine. Just a baby. Nine. A baby. Jesus, oh, and when you go and listen to his music, you're like, this heartache is deep. He for being he, such a baby. I mean,
2: well, that's so the thing he, that I forget about Tupac and Biggie is like they were like 23, they
1: were babies. They were. I'm so like, young. you guys were infants. <laughs> like, I know, oh my and, God. and if you look at, I mean, the influence they had. You know, still talking about the importance of Tupac today. Like it's it's wild. And then, yeah, Hank, too. I mean, he's still we'll get into his legacy. Um, Unfortunately, news traveled slow in those days. So the audience gathered for his concert on New Year's Day. They didn't know. And Mm -hmm. when it was announced that he had died, the crowd laughed. They thought it was a joke. Um, But then other performers came out and they were obviously very sad and they started singing I Saw the Light and the crowd realized it was for real. So they started singing it, too. I would have lost my shit. Oh, Mm -hmm. same. I cannot imagine. Um, Hank was returned to Montgomery. His body was placed in a silver casket and put on display at his mother's boarding house.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: His funeral took place at the Montgomery Auditorium where... There were anywhere from fifteen to 25,000 people outside. I mean, the photos are wild. To nearly 3,000 inside. Country stars Roy Acuff, Ernest Hub, and Red Foley performed I Saw the Light, Peace in the Valley, and Beyond the Sunset with the Drifting Cowboys. The last single that Hank recorded and released was I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive. Ooh, baby. Uh, his posthumous singles like "Your are Cheatin' Heart were obviously huge hits. I mean, "Your are Cheatin' Heart's a huge, 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 huge hit. Oh, yeah. If, 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 even if you don't like country, you know that song. Oh, yeah. Um, as Hank Williams Jr. wrote in his autobiography, to hear the tributes, one would think the entire city, Nashville, took turns kissing daddy while he was still alive. While mm-hmm. he was alive, he was despised and envied. After he died, he was some kind of saint year old that's true that's, that's kind of how people yeah. yeah they hate you when you're alive and they act like you're amazing when you're dead but his legacy yes, people they flowers while they're still here as tanya yes. tucker says who i love so absolutely there's your flowers tanya um he has been his legacy is incredible he's been inducted into countless music halls of fame and he's been awarded lifetime achievement awards he influenced countless artists across all genres many of his children and grandchildren are all musicians themselves there is hank jr as i mentioned earlier and audrey was pushing him on the stage at like age eight which maybe hank is a junior is appreciative of that i don't know but right she kind of didn't give the kid a choice but at the same time maybe he appreciates that well, and um, he
2: like crosses genres because remember when we cover when I covered Gigi Allen, like he was hugely yeah. influenced by Hank.
1: Yeah. And he his daughter by um Bobby Jet, uh Jet Williams, she's a musician. And then his grandkids, Hank the Third, Sam, Holly, and Hillary are all musicians. Um I remember this clearly. I don't know if y'all remember it, but in nineteen eighty nine, Hank Jr. released a duet. With his dad of there's a tear in my beer, which was like a big deal because it was like son and dad singing on the same track. And then the video is cool. I rewatched the video the other day. I'm like, I forget watching this. The video is Hank Jr. Like recording the song, but then lightning strikes the building and you see Hank's shadow and it's almost eerie. You're like, whoa, that looks like Hank's shadow in the background. That's weird. But then he opens the door where Hank's shadow is and it's Hank performing on a tv show and then hank jr like goes and joins him, and it looks like they're on this 1950s tv show i was surprised at how good it all looked for 1989 yeah and i was like yeah. this was really cool
2: well that um, was like natalie cole and nat king cole. i know like yeah unfor- oh that one always yeah. kills me
1: yep uh two movies have been made about hank the 1964 film you're cheating heart and the 2016 tom hiddleston movie i saw the light which they're fine they're fine. <laughs> um, There have been countless songs written about Hank. Like this is what kind of blows my mind. I'm not going to list all of them because there are so many songs that either mention. I'm going to see if you list
2: my favorite though, because I, I have might. one that made me get super interested in him when I was
1: like seven. So maybe mm-hmm. I, I didn't list a lot, but I listed a few. One of the big ones, and it's not really so much about, but it's about the family as a whole. is Hank Jr.'s song, Family Tradition. I know this song so well because I had never heard this song growing up until I started going on field trips with my little podunk classes. And for some reason, on every field trip, my entire class would sing Family Tradition. So you have a bunch <laughs> of seven-year-olds singing, Hank, why do you drink? Hank, why do you, why roll, do smoke? you roll smoke? <laughs> Like, it is it is on my Getting Drunk playlist. Yes, it as it should favorites. be. Like I don't know why all these seven, every single kid in that class sang it. And that's why I know every word, because my classmates sang it to me. Anyway, other songs include Waylon Jennings, Are You Sure Hank Done It This Way. One of my favorite current country artists is Ashley Monroe. She has a song called Hank's Cadillac. Uh, Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings had the night. Hank Williams came to town. Alan Jackson released "Midnight in Montgomery," and thats, that's your—I love Alan Jackson. Like little Alan Jackson. spooky baby me, because I've
2: been spooky since the womb. Yes, and I'm like this song is about ghosts. I yes. was in. I was yes. in it,
1: and of course, the great Tyler Childers, who everyone knows and loves these days, mm-hmm. he has a song called "Play Me a Hank Song." Now, let's talk about burials. So I mentioned T. Tot earlier, the blues musician who taught Hank everything he knew. Um, this cemetery sounds fascinating. He is buried at Lincoln Cemetery in Montgomery. The exact location of his gravesite is unknown. However, Hank Williams Jr. and members of the Grand Ole Opry purchased a memorial for him, and that is at this cemetery. And um, so it's a nice big monument that talks about T-Tot and who he was and his influence on music, which I think is so cool. They could have easily left this man, you know, in in the dust and they did not. Obscurity, yeah. Hank Jr. also wrote a song about him called the T-Tot song, um, which I I wish Hank Jr. was as nice to all black people as he was to this. I'm not
0: calling him a racist. I'm
1: just calling him a conservative, which... Same diff. Anyway, the, if Lincoln- the, shoe fits. If the shoe fits. The Lincoln Cemetery in, Mi- in Montgomery is an African American cemetery, and a lot of the graves are homemade concrete markers with handwritten inscriptions. It was initially designed to hold 700 graves, but it now holds nearly 10 times that. Jesus. And I wish I had stopped through Montgomery on my way home from Savannah. I was going to. I had all the plans to, and I ended up shopping for too long in Savannah, but one mm-hmm. day I will. We of will. course, Hank and his family are all buried in Montgomery as well. They are at the Oakwood Annex Cemetery. Um Hank's entire plot is covered in astroturf because fans went to his grave and stole blades of grass off That's... the the plot. Wow. Okay. It's what people did. They're weird. So it's like it looks like it's very easy to spot because. There's regular grass, and then there's this bright green AstroTurf. Plus, his monuments are massive. So he's got a big, tall, standing monument with a light shining down from the clouds, and it says, praise the Lord, I saw the light, from his huge song. Then there's a long ledger monument on the ground, has his name and years, and a cowboy boot and a guitar. Um, The tall monument also has music notes. There's a cowboy hat made of stone sitting at the base. Um, and the monument also includes a nod to Luke the Drifter and his hits like a mansion on the hill long gone lonesome blues your cheating heart and Audrey's right there right beside him uh she died in 1975 at the age of 52 um mm. and, and and this must have this is all obviously Hank Jr doing this because the curbing around the monument says Hank and Audrey at the entrance oh that's very sweet um, even though they were divorced um, well, but that's your parents, yeah. so you know what right. I ain't gonna say nothing because we all have parental issues. Um, right? Her, she, she has a, mo- a matching, very tall monument. Hers says, "Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight." Also from I saw the light, and um, this is just interesting. I don't mean this to disparage her, but I do think it's interesting. She paid for the rights to work professionally as Hank Williams' widow in
2: 1953.
1: <sighs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just You know saying. what? I I can't fault the hustle. So I can't fault the hustle either. And and you know, if if that's what it took to put food on the table, more power to her. She had kids to feed, babe. Did, she did. You know, she had two do kids. What you do. Um and Hank Jr. has also um established a little monument there too that says, "Please do not desecrate this sacred spot." Oh. I hate that he kind of had to do that, but at the same time, understand because everyone stole the grass off of his parents' graves. Right. Um, yeah. Anyway, I am, as I said, my favorite Hank song is Long Gone Lonesome Blues, which is the most depressing song God ever put on this earth. It is emo before there was emo. It is nothing but a suicide letter, essentially. It is so dang sad, but I love it. But it has kind of a jaunty little tune to it. Anyway, I'm going to read the lyrics and then I'm going to close this out because this to me is, I'm like, I'm sorry, if you think emo started with like Morrissey or something, I'm sorry. Please back it up. White boys you. have always been sad. They've always been sad. <laughs> even though they don't always have a reason to be. But sometimes they do. Anyway, I just love these lyrics. It just it breaks my heart. It's so simple but heartbreaking. I'm gonna find me a river, one that's cold as ice. And when I find me that river, Lord, I'm gonna pay the price. Oh Lord, I'm going down in it three times, but Lord, I'm only coming up twice. Mm. So mm. yeah, that's Hank Williams.
2: Sorry Sweet for the book. Baby.
1: Mm -hmm. no that's what's fucking fascinating i love this man i did all this research i wish i still had a better grasp on who he was as a person i still feel like everything is well he was drunk and audrey and lily had to force him to sober up for this five minutes or for that 10 minutes
2: drunks are never drunk for no reason like yeah and and
1: please for the love of god folks don't self-medicate with alcohol or pills um. Yes. I, yes. So somebody who lost
2: their brother
1: at forty fucking years old.
2: Yeah. To liver and kidney failure because of a very sustained pattern of alcohol abuse. Yeah. Please don't do it. It will it, kill kids. you. It will one hundred percent kill you.
1: And at it will leave your family fucking devastated. Yeah, it will. I mean, you know, it, especially to have somebody like Hank that was so prolific. And wrote songs that went right into your heart,
0: and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden
1: he's gone. You know, and and it's like you know, with your family, he left behind yeah. four kids that absolutely adored him. And it, it's just please, for the love of God, if you know something is wrong and your your first instinct is to pop a pill that you know won't act well with you, or to take a drink, please go get some help. I know it's so easy and too. it's hard.
2: It is so it hard is to like so admit. Hard.
1: Like, yep. this
2: isn't good, and I'm I'm not good, yeah, but it's worth it every single time,
1: yes, 100%. So, um, Lori, yes, I think you're next, and you were talking about probably my favorite female country artist.
2: I just realized these are going to be like gut punching, depressing. It. Would you I did did you okay, change?
1: Okay, okay,
2: okay, I just realized like all of our stories, oh, you guys. We just told you guys not to drink, but you're gonna want to drink after that.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean I thought about that too. I was like, we all picked country artists who died incredibly young. And tragically. Oh. Tragically yes. young.
0: Yes. All so, right, Lou Who. Take it over. My introduction to Patsy Klein came in two different ways. Um so yeah, when I was a kid, like probably fourth grade, my mom uh Introduced me to Coal Miner's Daughter, the oh yeah uh, biopic about Miss Loretta Lynn, and rest the- in peace. Yes, yes. yes. So initially, uh-huh. I was like, absolutely, I'm doing Loretta Lynn. Mm-hmm. But-, but since she's passed so recently, I was like, yeah, let's let's hold off on her. I don't feel like you know, there's a lot of information about her and um like where her final resting place, you know, there's going to be monuments. So oh, I yeah. Feel like yeah, her story can come later. Yeah. Uh But yes. Yeah, so I saw the movie coal miners daughter became obsessed, read the book mm-hmm. coal miners daughter, which a fourth grader should not be reading because there's <laughs> a lot of adult themes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, portray- Ugh, sorry, y'all I'm a little out of it this morning portrayed her in my fourth grade book report, uh, on coal miners daughter, which, um, Again, don't really think it was appropriate for a uh, fourth grader to be reading that, that was book. the 90s. Yeah. But I could see baby
1: Lori making the perfect Loretta Lynn. Yes. You know,
0: so I just I don't think know. I bet you
1: were. If you have pictures from that, we should show them on the I socials. Don't. I don't. I wish I did. Oh, darn.
0: Um, but yeah, it was the book report where you had to do an autobiography or biography and then dress up as the person. I don't know if they do that anymore. Um, but yeah, so I hope that's, they do. that's what I did. That was fun. Uh so yeah, that's how I kind of learned a little bit about Patsy. And then uh the first rated R movie I went to see with my mother was the Ben Affleck horror film Phantoms, which prominently <laughs> features I Fall to Pieces by Patsy huh. Klein. Yeah. So learned about her from that. Patsy Klein was the OG country pop crossover artist. In fact, if her life had not been cut short, I believe that her record history would rival that of Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. But For yeah, sure. I, I digress. So, Patrick, y'all, you're doing good, Luhu. I'm struggling today. You're doing okay, great, <laughs>
1: sweetie. Yeah. We love you, Luhu.
0: Patsy was born Virginia Patterson Hensley in Winchester, Virginia on September eighth, nineteen thirty-two. Making her a fellow Virgo. Oh Damn. they changed it, so I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Her father, Samuel Hensley, was just was 25 years older than her mother, Hilda, who was just 16 when Patsy was born. Oh, Incidentally, the couple married just six days before her birth. Oh, interesting.
2: And her dad was off to the side with a shotgun. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Patsy would later be joined by younger siblings, John and Sylvia May. The family struggled financially. They moved around a lot so Samuel could find work as a blacksmith. In fact, the family moved 19 times in 16 years. Jesus. That's a lot. Sorry, had to take a, had to take a drink there. When she was 13, Patsy had to be hospitalized after coming down with rheumatic fever.
1: Mm. Oh. And
0: she believes this is how she uh, came about having such a powerful, deep voice. Mm. At one point, her heart stopped and she was placed in an oxygen tent. What? I didn't Damn. know this. Yes. She Holy would later cow. recall, quote, You might say it was my return to the living after several days that launched my career as a singer. The fever affected my throat, and when I recovered, I had this booming voice. Wow. Good for her. Hey, yeah. Following her hospitalization, she developed an interest in singing, joining her mother in the church choir and at local church events. She even taught herself how to play the piano. Oh, cool. Sadly, Samuel Hensley was a real piece of shit. Oh, go! Oh, he impregnated a 16-year-old? I can't imagine he was a great guy. Patsy would later confess to best friend Loretta Lynn that he had sexually abused her, and I'm oh, sure she wasn't too him. saddened to see him go when he abandoned the family in 1947.
1: Fuck hate man. this dude. I hate man. Yes. That one oh, especially. Yeah. yeah, that one. I hope he is rotting. Yes, Ugh. I'm sure he
0: is. Hilda so. moved the children back to Winchester, where Patsy was forced to drop out of high school to get a job at a local poultry factory to help Ugh. support her mom and younger siblings. Ugh. Yep. When she was 15, she auditioned for the Grand Old Opry, but was deemed too young to join. She continued to compete and win in singing competitions ac- around Virginia and sang to help supplement the income her mother earned as a seamstress. In 1952, she auditioned for country band leader Bill Peer, who had a radio show in West Virginia. He was impressed and hired her to sing with his Melody Boys and Girls group that would perform throughout Maryland, Northern Virginia, and Washington, D.C. He would be the one to suggest she change her stage name and even gave her the nickname Patsy from her middle name. In 1953, she married Gerald E. Klein, and thus, Patsy Klein was born. Oh, love it. In September 1954, she signed her first contract with 4 Stars records, and nine months later, recorded her first set of songs. Her first album wasn't really successful, although she was uh, would continue to record and perform for two more years with that label. During this time, she was introduced for Charlie Di- She was introduced to Charlie Dick. Remember that name; it's going to be important. Uh, and and that is a bit of a spoiler alert. Yes. <laughs> In 1956, she received a call to perform on a variety and talent show, Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts. She performed Walkin' After Midnight, a song she had previously uh, recorded but never released. One of my favorites. Yes. Oh, yeah. The performance was Beautiful. a smash, and Decca Records, which who had leased her recordings from Four Star, rushed to release the song as a single. It would reach number two on Billboard Hot Country and Western charts, as well as number 12 on the Billboard Pop Music charts.
2: Oh, and the Garth Brooks cover her. is fantastic.
0: In March of 1957, Ger- Patsy and Gerald divorced. He was jealous of her success and the fact that she wasn't a homemaker. Oh,
1: my God. He knew uh, that when he married her. Yeah. Also, how can you listen to her voice and say, no, and I'm they, sorry, you need to be in the kitchen? Right? Like, Men. When you hear her voice, I mean, my God, it is stunning.
0: Yes, yes. And
1: you think she needs to go make you some lasagna? The audacity. The audacity.
0: Continue, Lou Yes, the divorce <laughs> didn't phaser. her. She married Charlie Dick, a linotype operator for the local paper, in September of that same year. Don't do okay. it, Patsy.
1: Don't do it, Patsy. Don't do it.
0: The relationship was a tumultuous one before they married. Yes. Patsy told Dale Wood, the pianist for the Grand Old Opry Haas, I got some news. I met a boy, my own age. Who's a hurricane in pants. No, I'm in love. And it's for real this time.
1: I think girl, I remember hearing- she was a bit of a girl. Look,
2: okay. As the resident, hoe, dad, stop listening right yeah. now. She was um, a little bit
0: of a
1: Blanche.
0: Yeah. Kind look, of the, the, I,
1: but I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean, I, I've always kind of had the impression that she was outspoken and she said what she wanted to. And if, uh, If you beat her ass, she beat yours, too. We will get to that. Look,
2: and as somebody who has, like, again, Dad, you don't hear this part, (laughs) um, encountered Dick, that I was just like, I'm going to ring this shit right now. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I am locking this down. (laughs) This is mine now. And it's a bad idea because it's always attached to the worst personality imaginable. Girl, I fail you. I understand, Patsy. I get it. I get it. Yep. Dad, you can convince listening. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they were both known as heavy drinkers, and oh. on at least one occasion, Patsy had Charlie arrested after one of their drunken fights turned violent. Eef. According to country music historians Robert Orman and Mary Buffwack, their relationship was quote fueled by alcohol, argument, passion, jealousy, success, tears, and laughter.
1: Oof. Yeah. <laughs> They they were one of those couples. Yes. Oh, yes. we all know that couple. Yeah, we do.
0: After giving birth to her daughter, Julie, Patsy struggled to make ends meet as Charlie was serving in the Army. They moved to Nashville in hopes of relaunching her career, and by January 1960, she had become an official member of the Grand Ole Opry. After wrapping up her contract with four stars, she began working on her next single, I Fall to Pieces, for Decca. Oh, Classic. It took time for the song to gain traction. It was released in January 1961, but didn't debut on the country charts until April. In August, it was number one on the country charts, and it crossed over to the Billboard Pop Charts, where it peaked at number 12. And Billboard magazine ranked it the number two song of 1961. Ooh. In June of 1961, Patsy and her brother were in a near-fatal car accident where they were struck head-on by another vehicle. Three of the passengers in the other car had died by the time Patsy arrived at the local hospital, and she was not uh, expected to live. Big words. (laughs) She survived. She suffered a broken wrist, dislocated hip, and large gash in her forehead. And it was this accident that would jumpstart her close friendship with Loretta. Mm -hmm. Before I get into that friendship, I want to note that Patsy was good friends with many country artists of the time, including Dottie West and Roger Miller. But it was the relationship between her and Loretta that was fucking fabulous and so that's mm-hmm. the one i'm going to talk about the most yeah after hearing of patsy's accident loretta performed a cover of i fall to pieces on the radio patsy heard that recording and ordered charlie to go pick up loretta they the pair became instant friends and were so close that patsy even bought loretta underwear no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i love it i bet she did
0: Yes. Loretta would later say, quote, she even bought me curtains and drapes for my house because I was too broke to buy them. She was a great human. uh, She was a great human being and a great friend, end quote. Loretta even named one of her twin daughters Patsy in honor of her wonderful friendship with Patsy. Patsy would return to the studio in August, just six weeks after her accident, and will record what would probably be her greatest hit, Crazy, which was written by Willie Nelson.
1: Which, I love so, Willie Nelson, man.
0: At first, she rec- refused to record the song, saying, quote, I don't care what you say, I don't like it, and I ain't going to record it. And that's that, <laughs> end quote. Her producer convinced her to record it, and she had trouble hitting the song's high notes due to her bruised ribs from this car accident. Uh, she went it. home and rested a week. They, The band continued to record the song. And she came back and nailed it in the first take.
1: Hell yeah. God. Can you imagine recording that in the first? I mean, just her delivery of it yes. is insane.
0: Because it it's
1: fucking flawless. And that was the first take. Yeah. yeah.
0: The song was a smash. Historian Paul Kingsbury would say, quote... Klein's hit recording swings with such velvety finesse, and her voice throbs and aches so exquisitely that the oh, entire damn. production sounds absolutely effortless.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, that was a really horny review of that song. I know.
0: <laughs> ah, she continued to record and release music, including crossover hits. She's got you so wrong, and imagine that. She mm-hmm. even performed with the Grand Old Opry at Carnegie Hall in November of 1961. Hmm. However, by the summer of the following year, she needed more financial support, so her manager booked a 35-day residency in Las Vegas. She was miserable. She missed her kids, which now included son Randy. But she went through with the contract, and she became the first country female artist to headline her own show in Vegas.
1: Hell yeah. I didn't know that. That's cool.
0: After this gig, she returned to DECA and recorded Sweet Dreams, He Called Me Baby, and Faded Love. Then, after a busy weekend of shows in New Orleans and Birmingham, Patsy flew to Kansas City to perform at a benefit concert honoring DJ Cactus Jack McCall, who had died in a car accident a month earlier. She performed along her good friend, Dottie West, who would say, quote, I will never forget that gorgeous white chiffon dress she wore. She was just beautiful. The audience just screamed and yelled when she did Bill Bailey. She sang the fire out of it, end quote. And I do have a pet picture of her in this dress that we will include in our social posts. She planned to fly home with her manager, Randy Hughes, the following day. But the weather conditions prohibited them from taking off. Dottie invited her to tag along with her. She and her husband were going to make the 16-hour drive home, but Patsy refused. Quote, don't worry about me, Hoss. When it's my time to go, it's my time to go.
1: Oh, no.
0: Jesus. Yeah.
1: Oh, no. Spoiler alert.
2: The next day, they have got to stop doing these, like, cryptic song titles and quotes and shit. (laughs) Like, knock it off.
0: Well and like there was a lot of uh there was a lot of worry or not worry. She seemed to know that she wasn't going to live long because she um like said like I I we've already come this far. What what can I do to surpass w- right. my success. Right. And about how old yeah. is she
2: by at this point?
0: 30, isn't she? Yeah. We'll get yeah. Oh okay. She was 30. She was a baby. Oh, yes. Which fuck. she looks a lot older than that in pictures, too. Like she yeah. lived wrong.
2: Everyone from that era just looks like 50 when they're 20. It's bizarre.
0: Yeah. The next day they were finally cleared for takeoff. Who Hughes, who was also the pilot, and Patsy were joined by fellow performers Hawshaw Hawkins, Hawkshaw Hawkins, and Cowboy Copus. They took off from the Kansas City Municipal Airport around 2 p.m. on March 5th, landed in Dyersburg, Tennessee, to refuel. Hawkins was told weather conditions weren't great for flying, but he ignored the warning saying, or rather Hughes, not Hawkins, excuse me, sorry, didn't mean to say that. Uh, Conditions aren't great to fly. You might want to hang out here, buddy. But he said, quote, I've already come this far. We'll be back in Nashville before you know it. In quote, oh, boy. last
2: words yeah, always
0: at six oh seven p.m. The plane left Dyersburg. Not long after takeoff, Hughes became lost, and the plane crashed headfirst into the ground. Oof! The crash site, ninety miles from Nashville in Camden, Tennessee, was not found until the next day. All aboard were killed on impact. And Patsy's watch recorded the time of death, 6.20 p.m. Oof. She was 30 years old. Ugh. That watch
1: is on display at the Patsy Klein Museum in Nashville. Yes, Yes. It Uh, broke my heart when I saw it.
0: Among (sighs) the item... Oh, go ahead. Do you
2: remember, like, being a depressed, traumatized 20-something and thinking you're not going to make it past 30? Like, I mean, because I remember, like, got into my 30s, and I'm like, I have no fucking plan, because I did not plan to live to be 30. So, I guess I gotta figure this out.
0: Yes. Uh, among the items recovered from the crash site were Patsy's rich wa- wrist watch, Confederate flag cigarette lighter. Oh, boy. Studded belt, and three pairs of gold LeMay slippers. Oh. According to her wishes, she was returned to her hometown of Winchester, Virginia, where thousands gathered to watch her gold casket be lowered into the ground at Shenandoah Memorial Park. Her monument reads, Virginia H. Dick Patsy Klein. Death Cannot Kill What Never Dies, Love. Shenandoah
2: is where one of the Boston Bombers is buried. Hmm. There you okay go. then, why? <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: I don't. I think because they were the only ones that would take him. Yeah. Oh,
0: Charlie passed away in 2015 and was buried next to her. <laughs> in 1973, Patsy I'm became liking. the first solo female singer to be inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. In 1980, she was played by Beverly D'Angelo in the Loretta Lynn biopic Coal Miner's Daughter. Superior to jessica Lange's 1985 sweet dreams because beverly d'angelo actually sang the fucking songs this is a I beverly say too,
2: d'angelo fan podcast that but bougie. i do love jessica lang
0: jessica lang I, I, I do too i do I'll too for just, her she yeah just but listened.
2: yeah she didn't sing. i would let beverly d'angelo step on me yes
1: and love I would let jessica lang step on me
2: they both will can say step this. on me <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what
1: what I don't love about Sweet Dreams or whatever the is that yeah, the death yeah, the movie? name. Mm-hmm. It really highlights what a terrible person Charlie Dick was, yeah. Um, which to be fair, I mean, she fought him back. I mean, you know, they mm-hmm. this was very much a two way street, they were tumultuous. But- oh, very, but one thing I hate about that movie, and there's no way to know this, so I wish they hadn't included it, but at the end. In the plane crash, as they're going down, she screams for him. Yeah, we right. We don't. Yeah, we don't know don't what know her that. last word no. was, and and it bothers me that like I just I I would not think a mother would scream out her husband. No, she'd be so. hollering for her babies or
0: her mom. I would think so too. Her her, her mama, mama, honestly, her mama, mama. something. Yeah, because, because her mama I just did have the kids for a while like they yeah mama was very, and patsy were very very close yeah they were and that yeah um and i will say so just kind of a side story here because of course i've read uh, both coal miner's daughter and still woman enough which was uh loretta's Mm -hmm. later book and so when coal miner's daughter was filmed you know she worked very very closely with sissy spacex so she could nail this Mm -hmm. this character and that is why sissy spacex was nominated and i believe won the oscar I'm i not think sure if so. she won, but she she, she was did. nominated uh hannah look it up for us while i'm running my i'm mouth giving a it light. a goog. yes a so but mooney her husband doolittle did not like tommy lee jones and was not going to work with him like he was just like oh this 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 kid's coming blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> well then tommy lee jones like the first week of filming got drunk and got arrested for like joyriding in the Jeep. And so Doolittle Lynn was like, this guy's all right, man. I like
1: him. <laughs> I like him.
0: And sounds like Doolittle. Yes. So if you have not watched Coal Miner's Daughter, it is such a well done movie. yeah, And it is so true to Loretta's story. I've read the yeah. book. I've seen yes, her. she did win the Oscar for yes. Best Actress. Yes, that's all she did. Yes, I, I, I was pretty sure she did because yeah. Loretta talks about it. Like, think about what would have happened if you had let Tommy Lee Jones learn a little more about you, and the fact that Tommy yeah. Lee Jones pulled it off so well, not being able to, yeah, really get to know Doolittle was just fascinating. And yeah. and again, Loretta Lynn's books, both of them, you can tell in the second one she's a little. um, I don't want to say senile, but some of what she talks about, you can tell. You know, she's an older. She's getting a little loopy. She's she's getting a little loopy. Uh, but they're just so such fascinating books, and for, and the way she talks about Patsy, in everything, just so traumatic. Because I'm not sure if this is how it happened, but like in the in the movie, and in um, she, so Loretta got pregnant. Later in life after she had already raised kids with her twins and she, Patsy comes over and it's like, oh, you know, we're going to go shopping. I'm going to get you all these clothes, but I got to fly to Kansas City for this gig. We're going to do mm. all of this stuff when we get back. And Oof. as uh, Loretta's waking up, the radio is playing a Patsy song and saying that she's Aww. died. And so Aww. that is how she found out her best friend died. Very mm. traumatic, but she did name one of her twin girls patsy after her best friend
1: if i'm Uh, not mistaken is there not too a picture of like a special event they had for patsy at the ryman and there's a famous photo of loretta backstage and she's got her hands covering her face crying i'm
0: not sure i'm not sure there there probably is Uh, i've seen
1: i just know i've seen a picture and they say that that's what it is that it's loretta backstage at like a some kind of like memorial show for Patsy at the Ryman at the Opry would have been the Opry at the time. And she's backstage crying. Yeah. I don't know. I could be. wrong. Um,
0: There have been several documentaries about Patsy, including 1989's The Real Patsy Cline and 1994's Remembering Patsy. Her daughter, Julie has been super, super involved in maintaining her mother's legacy, which yes. Um, She served as co-producer on 2019's Lifetime film, Patsy and Loretta, which detailed the friendship between the singers. Um, A memorial was erected at the crash site in Camden, Tennessee. And in 1987, a bell tower was built near the gravesite, which Loretta helped pay for. Additionally, her childhood home was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 2005, and it opened for tours in 2011. And as uh Sheena mentioned, in twenty seventeen the Patsy Klein Museum opened in Nashville and features stage costumes, scrapbooks, mm-hmm. the watch she was wearing when she died, and even the soda fountain machine that she operated as a teenager. Yeah, love it's it. a really
1: good museum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our, it's it's above the Johnny Cash Museum. Yeah, there's like a Both couple of them are right good there.
0: Yeah yeah um, so yes, that is the the story of Patsy Klein. There is so much more that I did not include because I was oh, getting yeah. overwhelmed uh and yeah just, me too. The lines between fiction and reality were blurring because of yes. how obsessed I was with Cole Miner's daughter, the movie. but I, I feel like remembering the book, it is very true to to form, and that was again, that was how I was introduced uh to Patsy Klein. Yeah. and then, of course. Like I said, the 1998, I think it was 98, I don't remember, movie Phantom. Start, it's, it was my introduction to Ben Affleck. And then also, <laughs> I Fall to Pieces is again featured prominently. Yep. It's based on a Dean Koontz novel. Um, mm. And I really like the movie. So check it out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I don't know that I've ever seen it. I'll have to go look it yeah, up. It's, I know. It's- I don't
0: know that I've heard
1: of it. Yes, it's got Leah
0: Schreiber,
2: Rose McGowan. I oh,
0: love him. Oh, okay.
2: Um, so we've got and all the 90s hotties in there. Yeah, yeah, so it's
0: basically, so this doctor is going to this town up in the mountains with her sister who's troubled. And they get to town and everyone's disappeared. It's like Ooh. Roanoke. Not Roanoke. Yeah, Roanoke. Yeah, Roanoke. Um, yeah. And Leah uh, Schreiber and uh, Ben Affleck play sheriff's deputies that are coming to investigate and it's it's a creature like some type of ancient being that has done something to this town and it's really spooky and creepy Ooh, it can
1: arrest me anytime
0: and i think it's got peter o'toole i think he's plays the old oh, cool journalist in it but yes very very cool. i enjoyed it and again patsy klein that's like the prominent song featured throughout the the movie, as I fall to pieces. So cool. mm-hmm. love it. Yes, uh, a fictional monster has an appreciation and an affinity for Patsy's music. So
1: well, I would As it hope should be. That, yes, absolutely. if I ever turn into an old monster, I will. I will play Patsy and Hank all the time.
2: And I forgot. Well, you know, I'm gonna play Gasolina, so it's good. Yes. <laughs>
0: well, so, y'all, I forgot. I should have said this during Sheena's because y'all wanted me to tell his story. So I'm gonna oh, tell yeah. it now while I'm awake and like yes. going. Since I've been sh- like, I am on the struggle bus right now. Um, tell the story. So, I'm yes, down to hear I, it. I don't know. Like, I do not remember the details, and I'm sure my mom doesn't remember either. But she was an Air Force brat. And she, when she was a teenager, I want to say 15 or 16, she was at a Hank Williams Jr. show, and they're the same age roundabout. And he asked her to go out for cheeseburgers, <laughs> and she couldn't go. So the joke is that Hank Williams Jr. could have been my daddy. That's right. That <laughs> she been a- Now, I love That's my daddy. Right. I'm so glad that she could not go out. I was going to say, I'm Williams.
1: glad that. The only good Terry is your daddy. Yeah. Which happy absolutely. birthday, by the yes. way, to every one of you. <laughs> all of y'all have, have birthdays yes. all together. Like, it was your dad's birthday the other day, and then Facebook is like, "Oh, it's Sandy's birthday." too. I hey
0: Sandy, happy birthday! Yes. And
1: it's about to be Lou who's
0: Yeah. So and, and my nephew is is so his that's fellow. right. Mine's Tuesday. Yep. Uh, Dean, I was about to... Sawyer is the twenty eighth. So, oh yeah. man,
1: yeah. Everybody born in September in y'all's family.
0: Yeah, you know.
1: Virgos. Yeah. New Year's, all New Year's Virgos. is a, is a
0: is a busy time <laughs> <for> my, apparently <laughs> it is.
1: Just a rock happy birthday, birthday to yeah. to all of all of that clan. Y'all yes. are some good people.
0: Yeah, I'm so boring. I'm getting a drafting uh chair since I have a standing desk now and sometimes I want to sit down but I don't want to lower my standing desk. So I'm like that's what you can get me for my birthday, Adam. Get me a drafting desk.
1: There you my go. It's got me a push Here mower. For oh, my God. That's adorable. I love it. That's how you know you're in your 30s. Yeah. It's yep. like,
0: do you just want us to give you this push mower? Because uh, we don't want to just keep loaning you one to, to do your cutting in at your house. And so, yeah, I'm like, okay, you can just give me the push mower then. Yeah. Sure. All right, Hannah. I know nothing about what you have planned. So, because... I've
1: been to this guy's grave, but I, oh. I don't know a whole lot more than that. Oh, I do have an inappropriate joke from my mother.
0: Oh, do it. Love it.
1: We'll get it to when we get to.
0: Yes. I, I, okay. missed, I missed the first five minutes of our conversation this morning. So I don't, I missed the conversation talking about Hannah's story today. So, okay.
2: So I wish I was as like together and organized as the girls, but the raccoons gotten into some mm-hmm. LSD and my brain has just been like, burr, 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 burr. so I'm doing my best. We're doing our best. Yeah, we um, are. So believe it or not, when I was a wee bit, uh, my parents were super into like the country music of like the late 80s, that oeuvre, um, <laughs> which is called Neo-Traditional country um i want to talk a little bit about that before i get into our subject because i think it's interesting um so neo-traditional country is emphasizes more of the instrumentals and more of that kind of traditional country style very twangy uh very bluegrass rockabilly the western and not like the nowadays where they can't decide if they're a rock star or a country star or a pop star it's like please fucking just pick one um, so some of the big names of that oeuvre were Riva, Alan Jackson, Patty Loveless, George Strait, Randy Travis. Um, George Strait is really credited in 1981 with kind of like vanguarding uh, the whole um, scene. And it's, you know, uh, my personal favorite, Garth Brooks, is included in that oeuvre as well. Um, Ricky Skaggs who my grandmother loved for some reason. (laughs) It was very cute. Um, And so it borrows really heavily from Hank Williams and some of those folks. It also borrows really heavily from Merle and George Jones and Conway Twitty. Um, So it really, but it has that definite, just kind of a very twangy, very, um, you know, very mellow sound that I do like. And it's really good when you just want to chill the fuck out. So, one of the artists that we were big fans of in the Nanner household as when I was a child was Keith Whitley. Um, he was born Jackie Keith Whitley on July 1st, 1954. I believe that makes him uh, cancer or Gemini.
1: Say the birth date again.
2: July 1st. I think that's cancer. I think so. You can correct us in the comments. It's fine. Um, He was born in Ashland, Kentucky, but primarily raised in Sandy Hook, Kentucky. When I initially saw Sandy Hook, I was like, wait, what? And apparently a lot of places in that area have the name Sandy Hook, including Connecticut. Um, so he started there. He was born to Faye and Elmer. Aww. Uh, Faye was the editor of the Elliott County News, and Elmer was an electrician um he also had two brothers randy and dwight and a sister named mary um when he was a teenager they would pass the time drinking bootleg bourbon and racing their cars down the mountains which is how (laughs) nascar got started so yes it is is. highly appropriate and it's also very kentucky so i just i have nothing to add to that um it whitley was once in a car whose driver attempted to round a curve at 120 miles per hour the inevitable happened um his friend did unfortunately pass away and whitley did break his neck um but he did not yeah he wasn't you know paralyzed or anything um and then and then i have no idea god looks after drunks and fools that's true true facts true facts (laughs) Um, in another incident, he drove his car off a hundred and twenty-foot cliff into a frozen river and only broke his collarbone. However, his brother Randy and his father Elmer did die in October nineteen eighty-three from a motorcycle accident. So he's he's had some 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 stuff. Some stuff has happened in his childhood that perhaps maybe had some, some drinking involved. It's almost like there's a theme to this episode. Um, he was, it like I said, nerd music. I'm telling let me tell you um, <laughs> again, he was tried of the neo-traditional brand. So like we talked about George Strait and Randy Travis um, in 1969, he performed in a musical contest in Ezel, Kentucky with his brother, Dwight on a five string banjo. Uh, Ricky Skaggs was also in the contest and they immediately bonded and became close friends, which I love to hear. They were both 16 at the time, and um, they were discovered in Fort Gay, West Virginia, which is a place. Um, <laughs> and if it doesn't have at least one gay bar, it needs to be shut down um, oh, no. by Ralph Stanley. Um, Stanley mm-hmm. opened the door of the club and heard what he thought was the Stanley Brothers playing on the jukebox. However, it was Whitley and Skaggs, who he said sounded just like me and Carter in the early days. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know a ton about the history of that, so I'm assuming he's talking about um, the Carters in that situation, because I'm not sure who Ralph Stanley is. Oh, my God. I love Ralph Stanley. You've heard him. You've heard him (laughs) and stuff.
1: Go into a sidebar. Go into a Stanley sidebar Um, for me. I mean, he um, did he not do some of the songs from Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, Death? Did he? Did he he do that? Mm -hmm. I think that's Ralph. I love Ralph. Um, okay. Sorry, if that's my clogging background coming out. No, my, you're, my hey. Gray ass. Um, hey, you're, you're talking to the baby goth.
2: These are, This is all new to me.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ralph is a legit legend. Um, okay. Oh, we should have covered him too, but you know what? You know, only he's so in much... here,
2: so we're good. We're good. There's good, only so good. much I can do.
1: Can you... <laughs> I'm going to double check that he did that one song for sure okay. from Oh Brother, but continue. We'll go from there. Okay,
2: yeah. so uh, Ricky Skaggs and Keith Whitley joined Ralph Stanley's band, um, and Whitley became the lead singer in 1974. Um, he also played with J.D. Crowe in the New South in the mid 70s as well. During this period, he established himself as one of the most versatile and talented lead singers in bluegrass. And I say this as somebody who just really, really loves bluegrass. Um, it's probably been a decade ago at this point, but there's like an album that's entirely bluegrass covers of Tom Waits songs. And it mm-hmm. is like, it makes me so happy. Um His singing was heavily influenced by Carter Stanley. Okay. So that's who the Carter he's referring to is. Got it. Mm. And Lefty Frizzell, uh, he moved oh, to Nashville. Yeah. See, that's somebody else. I don't know that Sheena definitely knows. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I like Lefty.
2: Uh, He moved to Nashville in 1983 to pursue his country music career and signed a deal with RCA Records. Uh, His first solo album, A Hard Act to Follow, was released in 1984, the year of my birth, uh, and was kind of a more mainstream country style rather than like the heavily bluegrass that he'd been working in. Um, While Whitley was working hard to achieve his own style, the songs he produced were pretty inconsistent, which I'm like, he's he's new to this, so of course it's going to be a little...
1: Ralph Stanley saying "O oh death" in "O oh Brother Where Art Perfect. Thou." He's still when alive. old? No, he passed in like 2016. Okay, so they're um, using a a sub from that. Well, no, he. I mean, oh, he, he was alive, alive when in the they movie made the it was movie. out. Okay, but yeah. yeah, the when you hear "O oh death," I mean, and you can't miss it in the movie. That's Ralph. Ralph is a legend. Okay, I'm gonna check it out because I do
2: love "O oh Brother Where Art Thou." <laughs> yes. um, Sorry. Anyway, continue. No, you're fine. No critics regarded the album as too erratic, um, which I kind of like when an album has got like 8,000 different genres all in one, but I have ADHD. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Um, he took the next few years to really kind of put his nose to the grindstone for his next album called LA to Miami, um, which was released in 1985. Um, So it gave him his first top 20 country single, Miami, Miami, which I fucking love. (laughs) Um, The song was followed by 10 Feet Away, Homecoming 63, and Hard Living. The album also included On the Other Hand, which is also amazing. And nobody in his right mind would have left her. On the other hand, was pitched to Whitley before Randy Travis released the song as a single. And when Whitley's version wasn't released as a single, Travis released his in 1986. And George Strait did a version of Nobody in His Right Mind Would Have Left Her. So if you've heard the Randy Travis version of On the Other Hand, which I've heard both and I adore both. um, And then... That is one thing with country musicians that I do like is they don't get quite as bit out of shape about covering each other. Um, it's kind of seen more as like an act of appreciation and an act of like love more so than I think in other genres people get in their feelings about it. During his tour to promote L.A. to Miami, he met and began a romantic singer a romantic relationship with country singer Lori Morgan, who I also still very much
0: like. Yes. Yeah, okay. Great.
1: Okay. Go, go. Okay. Say it. I should not I should not say this because it is um a woman hating on another woman. But I'm sorry, I've always thought this was hilarious. My mother was never a Lori Morgan fan. And she <laughs> Did called she her, call her Lori Lori. <laughs> Lori. <laughs> and I thought it was the funniest thing ever. And I'm like, which I was like, Mama, she's not, she's she's not one, but my mama sure thought so. She called her Hori Lori. Sorry. I love it. it. Okay. I
2: love it. I love it. I love it. Uh Something in Red by Lori Morgan is like one of my favorite, like I'm not getting married, but if I ever do, that's getting played. Um, they have, a, they got married in November 1986 and had their only son, Jesse Keith Whitley, in June 1987. And he also adopted her older daughter, Morgan, from her first marriage. Um, so I, I do love it that it's sort of like, um, uh, Bobby Jett's daughter is Jet Williams and yeah. Lori Morgan's daughter is Morgan. So yeah. I love that. Um, during, During recording sessions in 1987, Whitley began to feel that the songs weren't really up to his standards. Um, So he approached RCA and asked if the project could be shelved. Um, He also asked if he could take a major role in creating the songs and in the production. So, I mean, country musicians can get treated a lot like pop stars where you get handed a song and told to sing it. And that's that's the end of your involvement in the process. Um, So, but he wanted to take more of a, a... Role in it and i commend him for it uh the new album titled don't close your eyes was released in 1988 this album is a banger it uh-huh. is so good if you want to like lay in bed on a rainy sunday with your beloved and drink tea and snuggle put this fucking album on it is perfect for it that has been my recommendation to you um, the album sold extremely well. It contained one of the many songs that Willie really had a hand in writing in his years, um, including It's All Coming Back to Me Now. I don't know <laughs> if that's the Celine Dion one, but it's gotta be. It's one gotta can dream. Be. Yeah. Um he covered Lefty Frizzell's I Never Go Around Mirrors. And that became a huge hit during his live shows. Um, the first three singles were When You Say Nothing At All, which I love, which was also covered by Martina McBride and was really, really good. Um, I'm No Stranger to the Rain, which I love. And then the title track, Don't Close Your Eyes, which is just ugh, stunningly beautiful. Um, shortly thereafter, I'm No Stranger to the Rain earned Whitley his first and only CMA award as a solo artist and a Grammy nomination for Best Country Vocal Performance. Uh, in early 1989, Whitley approached RCA chairman Joe Galante with the intention of re-releasing I Never Go Around Mirrors as a single. Uh, Galante approved of the musical flexibility that Whitley achieved with the song. However, he suggested that Whitley record something new and more upbeat. Um, the result was a song that he had considered putting on his previous album called I Wonder Do You Think of Me and was to, re- was going to be on his next album release. However, on May 9th, 1989, Whitley called his mama and then his brother-in-law, I'm assuming his sister's husband, uh, Lane Palmer, uh, stopped by. The two had coffee and they were going to golf and then go get some lunch. Um, After which he was going to be writing some songs that him and Lori Morgan were going to duet on when she got back from her tour. Um, so Palmer left at like eight 30, which is really early for a visit from an in-law, but I don't know their family. So maybe, maybe they like that sort of thing. Um, (laughs) telling him he'd be back within an hour to pick him up and and go do their stuff. Upon returning lane, found Whitley unresponsive on his bed and called an ambulance. Whitley was taken to the hospital where he was pronounced dead at the age of 34. My goodness. man. The official cause of death was acute ethanolism, alcohol poisoning. Davidson County medical examiner stated that Whitley's blood alcohol level was 0.47. Woo.
1: Mm.
2: He was nearly half
1: booze. Yeah. God bless his heart. That's awful. I
2: know. Uh he was born in nineteen fifty-four per his birth certificate and passport, but RCA and his grave marker erroneously recorded his birth as nineteen fifty-five. So yeah. shit does shit happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pulled up
1: the picture that took of his grave, and, and yeah, you're right. Yep. This is nineteen fifty-five. Yeah. Yep. Uh
2: the day after his death, Music Row was lined with black ribbons in memory of Whitley. Uh he is buried in the Spring Hill Cemetery outside of Nashville. Uh, his gravestone reads forever yours faithfully and his being was my reason uh, forever yours faithfully is over his side. His being was my reason uh, is over Lori's side, which is where she will be. Into no,
1: Mm-mm. that's not, not according works. to my picture. No. Okay. Um, They have they share the monument. It says Jake. Okay. And then it's Lori M. And then Whitley's in the middle. His says forever yours faithfully. His being was my reason. And there's nothing okay. on her side except for okay. 1959. Maybe she's going to put that on later. Okay. Maybe this so. article just has it incorrect. It's fine. It's fine. But it's on there and it's very pretty. It doesn't um, matter in the grand scheme of things. But right. Yeah.
2: Um, at the time of his death, he had just finished work on his third and final studio album, I Wonder, Do You Think of Me? Um, the album was released three months after his death. It produced two more number one hits, It Ain't Nothing" and I'm Over You, which is another one that I really liked. Um, two new songs were added to Greatest Hits. The first, Tell Lori I Love Her. Oh, um, was written and recorded at home by Whitley for Lori, originally intended as a work tape for one of his friends, Curtis, Mr. Harmony Young, to sing at their wedding. Aww. The second one was Till a Tear Becomes a Rose, a 1987 demo taken from his work at Tree Publishing that originally featured harmony and vocals by Ricky Skaggs. Uh, Lori Morgan, with creative control and license to his namesake, recorded her voice alongside Whitley's and released it as a single, um, which rose to number 13 and won 1990 CMA Award for Best Vocal Collab, as well oh, yeah. as Grammy nomination for Best Country Vocal Collab. And that is also just a very, very pretty song. Um, RCA would then go on to release some of his performance clips. Um, interviews other stuff under the material kentucky bluebird which is another really great song of his um the album produced hits for whitley as well as a duet including as well including a duet with earl thomas conley named brotherly love um and that also won a grammy nomination for best country vocal collab give them their flowers while they're alive yeah exactly Um, in 1994, Whitley's Widow organized several of Whitley's friends in bluegrass and some of the big names in country to record a tribute album. The album, Keith Whitley, a tribute album, was released September 1994. It included covers of Whitney's, Whitley's songs uh, from Alan Jackson, Diamond Rio, and of course, Ricky Skaggs. The album also included unreleased tracks, um, one of which Morgan dubbed in as a duet partner. The album also included two original songs, Little Boy Lost, uh, co-written and sung by Darren Norwood, who also sings one of my favorite country songs from the 90s called Cowboys Don't Cry, um, which is different from the Alan Jackson Cowboys Don't Cry. (laughs) Um, And A Voice Still Rings True, which is a multi-artist song, um, which is another thing country music does very well, um, because the version of Amazing Grace that's on the Maverick soundtrack is one of my favorite things in the world. Oh, it's not Martina McBride. It was Alison Krauss that did When You Say Nothing at All. I'm sorry. They're brunette country artists and I get confused. Again, the goth baby. Um, when yeah. You Say Nothing at All uh, also reached number three on the country charts. Mm. So he absolutely, just like posthumously, had such a, a broad reach for such a short life and such a short time yeah, period. Sure. I mean, a career. Uh, Several film projects depicting Whitley's life were slated, but none have come to fruition, which makes me kind of sad because I think it would be super interesting. Um, One idea was a film version of the George Vesey Laurie Morgan penned Forever Yours Faithfully. While Morgan's book was a benchmark in piecing together Whitley's final moments, perhaps the most research went into a project titled Kentucky Bluebird, which was to star uh, writer, actor, director David Keith. Uh, The project was in development hell for several years and was halted in late 2006 after difficulties with casting and funding. Another uh, film project started in 2004 by Jeff Swope was a biopic, biopic, however it's pronounced. Um, In 2010, he was still looking for investors and there really hasn't been any updates since. Um, Despite his brief moment in the spotlight, though, his legacy remains. He was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in uh, 2022. We love that. Mm -hmm. Um, And prior to that, they did have an exhibit featuring his life and legacy. um, And they also had a concert with Garth Brooks and some other people performing. Um, He is featured in the video for Garth Brooks' The Dance, which is my grandmother's favorite song, and um, a Vince Gill song as well. Um, Whitley retains a persistent influence on country artists, including Tim McGraw, Ronnie Dunn, and Dierks Bentley. Only two of those I have heard of. <laughs> well, don't <laughs> tell me who Dierks again. Bentley is. I don't want to know. Tim I was McGraw, gonna say Ronnie, Ronnie Dunn, Ronnie Dunn Brooks and
1: Dunn. Right, and then Dierks Bentley.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't care about Dierks. I settle for "Slow Down" is the only song I know by him. But
1: I, I okay. enjoy me some Brooks and Dunn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bootscoot and Boogie, um, absolutely. Heck,
2: yeah. I clawed <laughs> and into then, some of their songs as a bass. And Tim McGraw's an icon.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, newer artists... artists, <laughs> Newer artists, like Morgan Wallen, who I don't oh. actually care about.
1: Oh.
2: Puke. Um, are among his progenitors, a song named after Whitley features on his album, One Thing at a Time, which Laurie Morgan and his son approved. So hmm. go listen to some Keith Whitley. It's fantastic. Um, everything in that neo-traditional genre is perfect. Um, I still sing Amarillo by morning in my car <laughs> yeah. randomly. I will not stop. Well, did, I- did
0: he record Amarillo by morning?
2: No, I was just talking about it's all kind of in that that genre. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I'm a Garth Brooks stan until I die. So, like, always and forever. But, yeah, Keith Whitley, Kentucky Bluebird is so good. Don't Close Your Eyes is so fucking good. Um, It's, like, less of that really, like, depressing I'm-gonna-die shit and more of the, (laughs) like... My heart is broken, kind of shit. Yeah, Which I yeah. look. My love of sad white boys <laughs> is deeply I entrenched.
0: Me I love too. me a sad
2: white boy, and I'm I just, too, I and I wish I help him, but I, wish. I do. They are toxic and terrible
1: and awful, but damn, <laughs> they make good music though. They do. They, make they good do. Music. Um, I was gonna say too that cemetery that he's at. If you are into country music, there are some wonderful cemeteries yeah. in Nashville, as much as I do not love Nashville. They do have some great cemeteries. That cemetery is full of some awesome people. Um, you've got Roy Acuff, like the father of country yeah. music out there. Um, you have Floyd Kramer, who I love. He is an incredible pianist. He played piano on, like, everyone's hits. And, like, you know him when you hear him. He is so good. Right. Yeah. Um, Bobby Hebb, who sings, it's uh, he's a black singer. And he sang "Sunny," which is might low-key be my favorite song of all time. It, it brings me great joy. He's out there. I went to his grave last year with my friend Chrissy. Hi, Chrissy. And I bawled like a baby. And, <laughs> we love um, Chrissy. Yeah, we do. Um, There's also Ella Evans Harper Savely. She's buried out there. I know you don't think you know her, but you do. She is not a country music singer. She was born with a weird bless her heart birth defect where she like crawls on the ground we need to come over at some point you've seen pictures of her you've seen pictures of her hank snow is also out there and kitty wells who my granddaddy loved but i don't care because i didn't really like my granddaddy um (laughs) but anyway also while i was sitting here scrolling and listening to stories i came up on the story that sam williams hank's grandson has released a cover of "I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry" to celebrate his granddaddy's hundredth birthday. Okay, which is kind of cool. Also, he's gay, so boo oh. him. And he has a son that he has named after his granddaddy. He has named his son Tennyson Hiram. He's six. okay.
2: I love that. But That's yeah, like what so, I found out, like one of the great grandchildren of Ulysses S. Grant writes gay vampire romance. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs>
1: fuck yeah. Okay. I know. Yeah. So I, I love that. That And which I'm like, I wish if if Hank Jr. is is cool with having a gay son, can he please let up on some of that conservative BS? But anyway. Right. Um, but I'm going to have to go listen to Sam Williams. I, I read that he was a musician, but I didn't realize he had released. Uh, this cover, which I mean, he just did because today is Hank's hundredth, but I'm going to yeah. have to go listen to more of his music. I didn't realize he was gay. So. And go yeah. listen
2: to I Saw the Light and then go oh, yeah. find the Pride of the South marching bands <laughs> version of it as <laughs> I fucking that is on my running playlist because nothing motivates me to run except for marching band music. Weirdly enough. <laughs> um
1: and that, that one always so gets weird. me going i love it
2: i you know <laughs> you guys you can take multitude
1: you can take exactly. multitudes, <laughs> hannah that's why we love you absolutely um <laughs> so this was fun we all got to geek out about our favorite yes, artists which i love yes. It's spooky um, season. It is spooky season. We have three, unless we get sick or have weird things happen <laughs> to us. We should exactly. have three episodes coming out in October if we stick to our regularly scheduled programming. And I don't know that we are going to have a a theme for any of them beyond spooky. So I think, yeah, we're just starting with scary and going from there. Yeah, sure. So that's going to be our plan for for October. So please. Um, Join us for that. I'm sure we'll if you find have a ghost stories, story, send it to send us. Send it. Send it, send it, send it. We would love we'll to. We'll probably it.
2: end up doing like a creepy pasta or like a scary stories, you know. Yeah,
1: something. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, uh Lou Who, If people can find on us online.
0: Facebook, Instagram, and X, formerly known as Twitter, at Cemetery <laughs> Row Pod. Or you can send us an email to pod at gmail.com Woo-hoo. I love how
1: Lou Who says that <laughs> It makes me I know. happy I
0: love it
1: um, And you know, it would be awfully rad If you would go and Like us and leave us a lovely review Yes, on, Lou or, on your podcast platform of choice We have not had a review in over a year And that makes me sad yes. Please go say, say that we're awesome Please, Only nice things yeah actually, or
0: just give us five fragile. stars don't say anything
2: right if you don't just, like it just find something
1: else to do.
0: basically <laughs> yes Uh-oh. all
1: right all right bye. my girls bye. this is bye. awesome bye, bye. bye.